Hallelujah. I feel compelled by um, dealing with a certain subject first. You may be getting tired of hearing it. Before I tell you, I just want to say I had an amazing day uh, yesterday. Alan and Mary Taylor, who came to the uh, uh, memorial service of Al, uh, stayed, and uh, we spent the afternoon with them. It was just a delightful conversation. And one of the things that happened to me uh, was that when I get with somebody, I'm always wanting to tell them what I know. And it's mainly uh, about what I'm learning about God and what I've learned. I, I just want to tell people. I want to tell people about my experience and my, uh, give them testimonies of things that are happening in my life. And tell them about revelations that I have received, studying God's Word, and reading other people. Um, and uh, so I was just uh, gearing up to do that, wanting to get into the conversation whenever I could, and tell somebody. I, I liken it to the song by Don Francisco, where the guy gets healed and he was told not to tell anybody, and he goes screaming, I want to tell somebody, I, I want to tell somebody, I want to tell somebody what Jesus did for me. And I get like that about when I see something in his word, I want to tell somebody, I want to tell somebody. And so I, I wanted to tell Mary, most of all, because Al is like, he's solid in the Lord, but, uh, and, and he listens but Mary's the one that just gobbles it all up, you know. And so I was so happy to be able to tell somebody. And then I also real uh, has been I have been wanting and ex- uh, to do something and practicing it with God, and that was keeping my mouth shut. And boy, does it take practice. Because I want to, even with God, I want to tell him all the things that I need. I want to tell him all the things, you know, that's going on. And um, there's a gal that I have encouraged you to look up Google sometimes. It, her, her name is Madame Guyon, G-U-Y-O-N. Now, Madame Guyon... That's not really her real name, but that's what she went by. I guess you had her literary name. But she lived in the 17th century. That means in the 1600s. And uh, she wrote some beautiful things. Uh, I read a poem that she wrote to you. And she has many, many poems and books and things. So uh, I was... I've been, I would read her and I'd get some things from her. Pastor Norm Moran actually said, Google my, I was telling Norm about all the things that's going on in my life, you know, and in my relationship with God and the Word. And he listens. And then, uh, but he said, uh, 
You sound a lot like Madame Guyon. I never heard of her. So I Googled it, and I started reading about her. So please, I want to encourage you to do a little Madame Guyon studying. And so I, uh, I want to tell somebody. So I'm interested in telling uh, Mary especially uh, all the things that's happening to me. And then finally, I give up. Uh, one of the things that I forgot to tell you is that there was this meditation, scriptural meditation in scripture that was happening uh, among the ones she was hanging out with. And so it was called quietness. It was called being quiet before the Lord and quieting your mind. Because if you're like I am, my, my mind kind of races, uh, wants, wants to race all the time. And it wants to, and of course the mouth wants to engage. But um, it's being quiet before the Lord. I, I would liken it to Psalm 4610. It says, be still and know that I am God. And uh, I will be exalted in the earth. I will be exalted among the heathens. Uh, and the idea is, you be still and I will be exalted through you. And so quietness. Uh, she actually went to prison, Madame Guyon, for being quiet <laughs> before the Lord, for believing in such a thing. And in those days, uh, it was like this is this is this 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 and this, and you differ from that. That I I hope that being quiet before the Lord does not disturb you very much. But it's being still. Being still. Still is the word quiet. And so Madame Guyon was uh, accused of, of spreading this stuff. So she was put in prison for it. Can you imagine being put in prison because you, you hear that uh, you should be quiet before the Lord? Can you imagine that? Being quiet is going to get you in prison. She said that her, she said herself that she had, uh, never achieved it, uh, but she's working at it. So there's a lot of beautiful things that she wrote about being quiet before the Lord. And, uh, that's also one of my goals, which I'm striving for. Uh, when I was, uh, I went through uh, an ordination through MMFI, Maranatha Missions Fellowship International, and one of the prophecies was, be quiet before the Lord. Be still. Sh- shut, shut your mouth. <laughs> shut your mind off and, and listen to God. And he, he will listen in the quiet voice. And I have found out that sometimes it's a silent voice. Um, so anyway, uh, I w- I'm with, with Mary, and uh, instead of being quiet, I was like wanting to tell somebody. 
finally, I kind of like, I don't know how God got me shut down, but not shot down, but shut down. And uh, I shut down and she started telling me things that she wanted to tell me that she has been experiencing. And I said, well, okay, be, you know, you want her to listen to you, now listen to her and, you know, put it aside in your mind because what has she got to say to me? (laughs) So I uh, listened to her and as I quieted myself to her, God began to speak to me. And I was like, wow, I can actually be, you know, be spoken to by a lesser. It's funny that one of the things she said to me is she has been reading a particular translation of the Bible called the Passion Translation. I never heard of it. Have you ever heard of the, it's TPT, because it's the Passion Translation. TPT. Never heard. I I realized, I think she tried to tell me the last time I saw her. And she says, especially now, if you look for that, it only has the New Testament and the Psalms, Proverbs, uh, Ecclesiastes, uh, and Song of Solomon. Those four books from the Old Testament, they're, they're called the Romance novel, uh, uh, books. Psalms, it's Romance with God. Psalms, Proverbs, uh, Song of Solomon, Ecclesiastes. And so, and then the New Testament. But So it doesn't have a lot in the Old Testament. But she was talking about reading the Song of Songs, which is also the Song of Solomon. And it's about uh, a bridegroom singing to his the bridesmaid. Uh, they're going to be married, and he's madly in love with her, and she's madly in love with him. And that, that's what that's about. Except for one thing, that's not what that's about. I mean, it's about Jesus is the bridegroom, and we are the bride. And I've known that, and I think you've probably known that for as long as I have. I've known it uh, before I became a pastor. Uh, you know, that's just understood. We sing songs from there as ourselves, the church, to God. Uh, one of them would be, I'm my beloved and he is mine. His banner over me is love. I'm my beloved and he is mine. His banner over me is love. And we would sing that. Uh, one of our my favorites is we did this once in a while. Dance with me, O lover of my soul, to the song of all songs. Well, the song of songs is uh, another name for that, another name for the Song of Solomon, another name is the Canticles. And so the, we get a lot of uh, songs just from these songs. But it's all about 
the relationship of the bride. Well, we're the bride in that scenario, in that uh, uh, parable. We're the bride. He's the son. And he, she says, I've been reading it in the Passion, which is uh, the translation that Bill Johnson rec- recommends. Bill Johnson is the pastor over uh, Bethel in California, which I went out to, to be with a couple of years ago, so a couple of Junes ago. And so Bill Johnson uh, recommends TPT, if you can get it. I didn't even know it was in my, one of my apps, but I could get it because I always went to another Bible app to get translations, and I could get this translation. And so uh, I was studying it last night, and uh, he said something about, said, if you recall last, last week, I talked about how Jesus says at the end of the prayer, it's not really the end of it, but close to the end of it, the prayer that is in uh, Ephesians, the first chapter at the end of the chapter, and it's actually about half the chapter to the end. And at the end of the chapter, he says, uh, this is to the church, which is his body, the church, say church, we're the church, which is his body, all right? It's also, we are the bride, the church is the bride. The word church itself means called out, you know, the little meaning means called out. We are called out. And so it says, uh, we're the bride, the church, and it says, to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him. The fullness of him. I was t- telling you about that last week. Jesus said, God says, the church, which is us, is the fullness of Christ. Now, there may be a number of different uh, meanings from that. But one meaning, and you get a little better picture if you understand that it would be more accurately translated, the word fullness, to completeness or complete month. And so we, we complete the church. We complete Christ. How is that possible? Well, I told you last week that I gave you a, a comparison to the Old Testament, to the New Testament, uh, and I know some of you have heard this so many times. I, I will challenge those that say, oh, no, we're going to hear this again. If you know it well enough, to, if I ask you right now to tell me, then you, don't have, you have a beef about me hearing it, hearing it one more time. But if you can't tell me as much as well as I can tell you, then you need to hear it again and again and again. But it's simply this. The Old, the New Testament, well, the Old Testament is in the, is the New Testament contained. Contained. In other words, you can find Christ in everything in the Old Testament. There's a, there's a contain, it's contained, it's hidden. The, the Old Testament is in the New Testament explained. So it's explained. You know, the Old Testament, uh, the New Testament is in the Old Testament uh, un, unfold, unfolded. 
the New Old Testament is in the New Testament, unfolded. And what's the other one? Concealed and revealed. The New Testament is in the Old Testament, concealed. But the Old Testament is in the New Testament, revealed. And by the way, that word revealed has to be, mean the, the uh, curtain, the veil, reveiled. It's taken away. Revelations is to have the curtain drawn away. Revelation, apocalypse, a, a, a revelation. Uh, the veil is taken away. And we know that that veil is taken away in Christ. And so in the Old Testament, in Genesis, when Adam created, uh, when God created Adam in his own likeness, in his own image, out of the dust of the earth, the root word in all those things is actually the word blood. It is also means, when he says the dust of the earth, he means the blood of the earth, which is like the red clay or the red dust. And so when he says in his own likeness, that, that root word in Hebrew is blood. The root word is like out of his own blood. So he took his own blood and he took the blood of the earth and he put it together and he, he made Adam. And so in his own likeness and his own image. But there was one thing. Adam was one creation, one being. But he said, God is not good that you should be alone. So he says, he puts him to sleep and he takes a rib out. A rib from Adam, not from his head so that she could lord it over him, but from his foot, not from his foot so he, he could trample over her, but next to his heart. And now when he takes this out of Adam to create Eve, Adam is no longer the same. He's no longer the same. He's no longer a reflection of God. He's no longer in the image of God. He's no longer in the likeness of God. Why? Because half of him has been gone, is gone. Now, together, they are the full image of God at this point. You see, the likeness of God. And why, where's the New Testament in that? Well, Jesus is called the, the last Adam. He's also called the second Adam. And he says the last Adam was put to sleep on the cross and his side was opened up and blood and water washed out. Why is blood and water so important? Well, in, we find in Ephesians where it talks about the, the bride of Christ. It says, husband, love your wives as Christ loved the church and given himself for it, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling savor. And he goes on to talk about the bride of Christ in whom there is no spot or wrinkle or any such thing. And so the bride of Christ is taken out uh, when, uh, and, and he says, with, and it also talks about with the washing of the water by the word. In Ephesians 5, talking about the bride, the washing of the water, so water and blood comes out. And what does it create? His bride. Jesus' bride, okay? So it's the church. Now, with that having done, been done, what, what, what can you say at this point? When Adam had a rib taken from him, he was no longer complete without Eve. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, the two shall become one. But I speak a great mystery because I'm talking about Christ in the church 
in Ephesians 5. And so Adam has his bride taken out. He's no longer complete without his bride. And that's what it means in Ephesians 1 when it says we are the fullness or the completement of him. Uh, I, I just, you know, an, another person that I've been nudged toward is Tozier. A.W. Tozier, I believe. A.W. Tozier. And uh, he uh, was born almost to the month. Well, uh, just uh, 20, 20 days apart from 50 years before I was born. So if you say oh, he's before my time, well, he's a little bit before mine, too, you know. Uh, so anyway, A.W. Tozier, and I've been studying A.W. Tozier. And I, I, I kind of like go to the, uh, I cheat. They, I go to the quotes. I, you know, you know what I'm saying? Uh, it's like, I want to get the, the meat. Sometimes you need the rest of it to understand the meat. But I like it. And one of his quotes is, you will never, talking to the believer, you will never understand how much God loves you until you understand how much you hurt him. Now, this is A.W. Tosher. Tosher is a very recognized author and man of God. And so you never, you'll never understand. Uh, I remember Tim Keller saying, you'll never understand how much the love of God until you understand what hell is. What he saved you from. But what, how much you hurt him. Why is that? Because you'll never understand the, we just saying that Jesus ransomed us. That God ransomed us. And when you pay ransom, uh, somebody, a rich man gets his child kidnapped and they ask for ransom. They don't call up and say, um, let me ask you a question. Uh, what, what do you think I should ask for? No, what does what a person who has kidnapped you, they don't say, uh, I have your daughter. What do you think would be a good price for you to pay to get her back? No, they don't. They say, if you want her back, you're going to have to come up with a million dollars. I can't raise a million dollars as well. You're you're not going to get her back until you do, you know. Well, that's what ransom is. You pay the price. So who owned us before Jesus? The devil owned us. Adam sold out to him, sold himself. When 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 he ate that fruit, when when Adam and Eve ate that fruit, they gave themselves. You know when 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 the devil takes Jesus up into the mountain. When you know, well, he's led by the Spirit up into the mountain to be tempted by the devil. And so when the when he's led up into the mountain to be tempted by the devil, one is the what's the first thing he says? Make these stones bread. You know, for it is written, men shall not live by you know, well, he actually says, um, if you're the son of God, make these stones bread. And Jesus says, man should not live by bread alone. He quotes Deuteronomy 8.3. Man should not live by bread alone. 
Then he gets to the place where he takes him up to a high place and he says, you see all this? I will give you all of this, every, all of it, if you will fall down and worship me, pay tribute to me. Now, Jesus didn't say, hey, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, which is said in the Bible. No, he didn't dispute with the devil about his right to work, that, that he owned all that. He did. He didn't dispute with him that he owned it. Because the Satan did. He had it. It was his to give. This world. He's called the God of this world. It was his to give. And, you know, Jesus says only God is to be worshipped. I'm not going to worship, bow down, bow down to you. But the point I'm making is when Adam sold the world, the, you know, the prince of the power of the air is Satan. He's the prince of the power of the air. He's the God of this world. It says that in the New Testament. And he's the God of this world. He's the prince of the power of that because Adam gave it to him when he sinned. So when Jesus died, he bought it back. And in order to buy it back, he had to make a little deal, you know. What do I have to do? To buy this, to buy man back, to buy my world back. And Satan says, <laughs> your life. And God says, okay. Now God, he, he says the princes of this world. Talking both about the people and Satan. When Daniel fasted for 21 days, he warred against the prince of Persia, but it wasn't a person; it was a, a demon. And so, when he says, uh, "The prince of the power of the air," when he um, lost my place, um, yeah, I said, "No, I said that." <laughs> anyway, uh, he says, "What's the price?" And he says, "Your life." Okay. Uh, Jesus, or in the New Testament, says, if the princes of this world, meaning both man and demons, if they had known what was going to happen, they would never have crucified the Lord of glory. Because they, Satan just fell into his, you know, fell into his purpose. See, when he says, your life and a beautiful depiction of that is in the story of The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe by C.S. Lewis. If you haven't seen that or if you haven't read your, read your kids this, these books, you know, you need to. If you're a parent and you have children, you need to read those books because they're, all, they're about Christ. And it's the, the, the lion went to buy Edmund back, who had betrayed uh, everybody. And so the, the witch says, there's only one thing you can do to get, her, get him back is to, you got to die in his place. And so when he was given to the uh, witch to, to kill, they killed him. And they, but before they did, they were on him, all the demons and goblins and everything was pulling him apart and ripping him apart and pulled out his beard, familiar, 
you know, and then he dies on this offering uh, sacrifice. But he says, but there was a, a law that she had forgotten. And the law is when an innocent person dies for a, a guilty person, then on the third day, he, he will rise again. And when Jesus died for us, he rose again. If the princes of this world had known what was going to happen, they would never have crucified Jesus. If Satan had known, he would not have crucified Jesus. He says, but you see, we are ransomed with a, with a cost. What is that ransom? The ransom was his life. And his life wasn't just his physical life. If it was just his physical life, then, you know, Jesus was fully man and fully God. If it was just his physical life, then man rescued man. You understand? Because Jesus, he he was also a, a spirit. He was fully God and fully man. It was the God part that paid the price. You understand? The man part gave his life, but the God part was the price. And that was, you know, he made his grave with the wicked in his deaths, plural. And deaths, one of the reasons that people get all upset about the thinking about this is because you're, 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 not, you're talking about the deity of God dying and he can't die. Well, that's just, that's just not true. He can. Because death isn't no longer existing like a lot of people believe today. Death is not that. Death is being separated from God. And God the Son, God the Spirit part of Him, God the Son, the fully God part of Him, was separated from the Father. The Son, who have known each other and loved each other since eternity began, was separated. What, what does that mean? What has that got to do with it? If you don't understand how much you hurt God, and you think, well, when did I hurt God? I'll tell you, you hurt God when Adam sinned because we were in him. And you hurt him because it was your hurt hurting him. It was your sin. Sin is hurting God. It was your hurt that hurt him. And until you understand how much he hurt him, and the only way you can understand it is what he had to do to pay for it. And it wasn't just some little, and I, please, I don't, the death on the cross, I, I, I totally uh, thank you, Lord, and bless him, Lord. But the part that was bad, Jesus wasn't sweating great drops of blood because of the crucifixion that was about to happen. No. Read about Paul in second chapter, in uh Second Timothy chapter 12 and 11. Read about what happened to him. I'm, I'm saying this with, with, just read about it. You can understand what Paul went through in his lifetime was way worse, way worse than Jesus did on the cross. 
Now, I don't, uh, it was enough for me what Jesus did on the cross. But it was, he was not sweating great drops of blood because, oh, I'm going to have pain when that, the whip, oh, I'm going to be pain when I'm whipped. Oh, I'm, it's all this pain. No, he wasn't worried about pain. He was, it was being separated from the Father. See, that was the ransom that had to be paid. And it was your sin that put him on that cross. It was your sin that separated God from God. Something that had never happened before. First of all, he says he, he was made sin. We were made sin who knew no sin. We, may, we were made, excuse me, Jesus was made sin with our sin. That we might be made uh, the righteousness of God. You know, I'm righteous with God. Not because I live a righteous life. I'm righteous with him because God made me righteous. It's called imputed righteousness. He imputed righteousness to me. And how did he do that? There's only one way he could do that is to take away my sin. And the only way sin can be dealt with is requires a death. And not just a death physically, but a death spiritually. And Jesus paid that price for me. Totally for me. And until you understand what put him in separate, God, God, God is sweating great drops of blood. Because it never been divided before. I, I, I really believe that people, that the angels and, and people who knew this was like, wow, how close can you get for everything just completely flying? How close can you get? That's that, and, and, and this is what Tozer meant. If you can never, you can never understand the love that God has for you until you understand how much you hurt Him. Hello? Oh, amen. Well, anyway, he put, God puts Him to sleep, takes His blood, His, his water out of His side, means His heart burst. His heart just. And that's where the blood and water comes from. And there's a whole uh, chemical thing that could be taught by that. I've heard sermons on what blood and water is and everything. The water to wash the church by the washing of the water by the word and the blood does the sacrifice for us singularly and for us plurally as the body of Christ. So he took out of that. And you know what he does? He took out of Adam. God, uh, Jesus was called Adam, the the last Adam, the second Adam. He took out of Adam and he made Eve. And who are we? We are Eve. We are the bride of Christ. Now, one of the things I did uh, yesterday, as soon as soon as the tailors left and as soon as I can get quiet before the Lord, I went and started reading. Uh, Song of Solomon in the Passion. First of all, the Passion. You've heard this before, but uh, so many words have come out of language that for that for one purpose only was because it related to the things that happened 
in, in the crucifixion, the Christ and everything. So many words that we take and then we've perverted them into another meaning. And I'm not criticizing you if you're a fan of anybody, uh, any team or anything. But the word fan means in the Latin, it means temple. And it was originally made, it made, there was, fan is short for another word. Fan is a, a short word for fanatic. And originally fanatic was related to those that believed in, in Jesus Christ. Didn't talk about being a fanatic football fan. The word fanaticus is the word fanatic in the English. And fanatic related to solely to somebody that was sold out for God. Not somebody who sold out for baseball. I like sports, but don't get me wrong, I love sports. Speaking of sports, can I brag a little bit? Will you let me? Thank you, Adam. That's why I like you being there. I can always get the right answer from you. You know, they have these cheerleader contests um, in different places. And they take cheerleading teams from the big colleges. And my granddaughter was on the Ohio State College cheerleading team. They came in third. This just a last few days ago. So I'm, I, I got to brag a little bit about that. And it's mostly tumbling. She's a tumbler, you know, and uh, and she's most of her in, uh, competitions before was all about tumbling and mainly the mat work, you know. So. <laughs> OK. Fan, I'm not opposed to us being fans of sports and stuff like that. I just wish that we had the same zeal for God. The same devotion to God that we have in sports. Because the word fan means temple. The word fanatic means inside or fanaticus means fanatic means of the temple or inside the temple. Profanity means outside the temple. Because it's got fan in the middle, means temple. So it means when you when you your foul mouth is cursing, you're outside the presence of God with that. That's what it means. The temple is where the presence of God is. Hello. So anyway, what did Jesus pay for? What he paid the price that the devil demanded. And that was a big price. And until you see that your sins, if nobody else lived, if nobody else had their sins on God, your sins crucified Jesus. Hallelujah. And so I've been talking about the, and I'm going to end with this, but I, I, I definitely, I'm going into Matthew 21 and 22 and so forth and so on. I'm all excited about that, but first I'll just talk to you about one more thing. So I, I started looking at this, and I, I started looking at Tozier and some things, and I, I hadn't looked at Tozier, but boy, you just, you gotta study Tozier. Uh, and, uh, that's another name that 
Pastor Norm Moran was recommending to me is Tosher. So Guyon and Tosher. And so I had my little conversation with Pastor Norm last night. And uh, he always asked me, what are you going to preach about tomorrow? And you're you're not going to believe this, but none of the things I shared with you I was going to preach about. (laughs) So I began to say, hmm, okay, you asked for it. I'll tell you. And I gave you my whole sermon, and I haven't preached a word of that sermon. So I guess I I just wanted to tell him, you know, about it. And uh, I have to be honest with you. I'm like, uh, I want to enlighten him a little bit. Because I think he may not have known some of these things. And so uh, he listened to the whole thing. I mean, I just talking, talking, talking for 35 minutes. And then finally I got this sudden uh, moment of silence on the phone that it's time to shut up and listen. <laughs> and Because uh, I remembered the experience I had earlier that day when I finally shut up and listened. And um, I uh, was quiet. And it was quiet. I had to say, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. <laughs> and I said, uh, the, thing, uh, the things I talked about, is that all right? And I, not that I have to have his approval to, to preach him, but I do uh, like somebody to say amen. And so he, he asked me a couple of questions, and I answered them. And then he started talking. And uh, I started listening. And for the first time in my life, uh, I saw something about something. And I got, wow, um, I've heard this so many times, and I've always fought it. I fought it and fought it and fought it. Would you, would you like to know what it was? <laughs> Even if it's going to set some of you on your... On your, on your heel, you know. I met someone that set me back on my heels. Goody, goody. Or you met someone. You met some. Anyways, um, he has shared this before, and I always said, well, you know, Norm can't be right about everything. And totally resisted it. And believe me, I still have a lot of resistance toward it. Okay. But I finally saw what was being seen there. Now, how many of you guys um, have prayed for something and not gotten it? Two, three, four. So the rest of you aren't praying? Is that, what, is that what's going on here? Well, I think we all have. If you're like me, the list is really long. And, you know, I've always just resigned myself to say, well, if they don't get it in this life, they'll get it in the next. <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. But we've all prayed for things, uh, for ourselves, for others. And I don't want to put any doubt in your mind for those things. But for yourself, okay, for you, I want you to think about something. First of all, is anybody hurting right now pain-wise in your body? Anybody? 
what's wrong with you guys? Are you just to- totally out of touch with your body? Two people raised their hand. I was one of them. Three. Thank you. Man, I, you know, I'm, I, I just got to sit down and let some of you come up here and preach. Because if you got that going for you in your lifetime, then I need to hear from you instead of you hearing from me. Man, I have so much pain, sometimes physically, sometimes emotionally, that I can hardly feel like I can get up in the morning. You don't have that? No? Well, you will. It's probably the first prophecy I've ever given that I absolutely know is going to happen. Come on, we all have troubles in our lifetime that hurt. We have emotional experiences that hurt. Everybody hurts. Everybody hurts sometimes, you know. We all hurt. We all have pain. We all have troubles. You know, we don't live this life of glorious health and glorious finances and glorious relationships. Come on. We have problems. And they are painful. One of the things that's, you know, hit me in these these days is we, I, I personally, and most of this is pain of other people that I try to attach myself to, you know. And that is, you know, weep with them that weep, the Bible says. And most of this pain is, is uh, outside of my immediate problem, and so, but some of it is real close. And that is within the last 12 months, I've counted 12 deaths in our church or related to somebody in our church, whether it was a brother or a, a husband or a mother or you know a husband or a friend. We've had uh, two people that took their own lives. And, and I've had a very close friend and that I love very dearly uh, about five years ago took his own life. And Paul, you talk about pain. That's pain. That hurts. And uh, so 15 deaths, uh, it can be the last one, very close. Some are... I, I don't hardly know them, but I know that other people have been hurt by them. There's pain. And those of you that are getting older, how many of you are getting older? Oh, finally, I got something. I didn't trick you on that one, huh? It was like, oh, I'm not. You're getting younger? Okay. Keep... Yeah, it's not for sissies. Yeah, that's not even the way I'd heard, heard it, learned, learned that word. Anyway, it's not. It's not for sissies. Uh, it's tough. It's tough, I know. You know, when I was at the gravesite, I couldn't walk on that mud. I went back to the car. We, we buried Al. And George was there. Boy, I was glad George was there. Because every step in that 
mud hurt. Hurt my legs, hurt my back. And it was totally distracting. Totally. It's like I just want to get away. Uneven ground is like, you know, I've, I've climbed up mountains that I was wondering how I was going to get down off of it. But uh, now to me, a, a hill that most people can't even see is there is a mountain. I'm getting old. Suffering. That's another thing. The word passion. The, the passion. The word passion didn't even exist about love. Eh, sort of, but not worldly love. You know, like, or like, how many of you have a passion for golf? How many of you have a passion? One person. Thank you, Bean. You don't even know how to play golf. How many of you have a passion for a sport? Okay. How many of you have a uh, a passion sitting next to you? <laughs> you have a passion for the one sitting next to you. You know? All right. The word passion originally in the English was not made meaning that, any of those things. It was all about Christ suffering. The word passion meant suffering. Now, I know that if you really have a, a, a passion for a sport, uh, you'll suffer in uh, practicing it and getting better and better and better and better. You, you're not ever going to get good if you don't suffer. But it was never considered that. It was considered Christ suffering on the cross or his suffering when he took the pain of other people in his lifetime. The only word that kept its original meaning was compassion. Compassion. Compassion meant the same thing. So passion meant suffering originally. It meant suffering. And it wasn't suffering for golf. It was suffering for others. Suffering. It was the suffering of Christ. And Paul says, oh, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. Know him, the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. Who wants that? I want to know the power of his, I want to know him and the power of his resurrection. I don't know about the suffering part. So Pastor Norm has said this about one of the uh, major speakers that I, that over our lifetime, and he had had a stroke. And this man that I loved very, very, very much uh, five years ago had committed suicide. He had had a stroke. And he was never quite the same. One side of his body was almost paralyzed. You know, he he could use it, but very carefully and very deliberately. So he did everything with the other side of the body. And of course, his face showed that he had a stroke. And his in-laws came against him. Uh, and it was, he felt like, cause it wasn't, he wasn't providing for his family anymore. 
And then the church came against him. I don't, I don't know the whole story there. But he, he, he killed himself. And um, this guy that Norm was talking about, he says this very much, and he fits in with the purpose of God in your life. The, the purpose of God, not the purpose of Don. God helping me with the purpose of Don. I don't want, one, one speaker once said, I don't, I'm tired of asking God to bless what I'm doing. And I said to God, I want to do what you're blessing. And so, not the purpose of Don, the purpose of God. And so, this guy would stand up, and one side of his face was, was still very distorted. His whole face was very distorted, but one side was very much more distorted, you know? And he said something. Now, this is going to rile some of you, because every time Norm has told me this, it riled me, so I know it's going to do it, some of you. And he says, you see this on my face? This is God trusting me. Uh-huh. Yeah. Hmm. I get you. I never got it until last night. And I just told Norm all these wonderful revelations that I was getting. And this is what I'm going to preach. And God, then he says, and then he lets, with just probably two minutes, and I'm like, knocked off my high horse. And he says, this is God trusting me. And do you know when Job was tempted? Job's temptation? The devil comes to God and says, your, your, your peop- those, peop- those men out there, they hate you. They're living totally for themselves. The world hates you. He says, have you considered my servant Job? Job? He says, yeah, well, let me, let me really do a number on him. And he'll, he will curse your name after I get through with him. And the first thing he does is he takes his whole family away from him except for his wife. The devil kills all of his children, except for his wife. And he takes every, all the cat. Well, I think the, the, the livestock came first. He lost everything, everything, except for his wife. And his good friends, they tried to get him, his wife and his good friends tried to get him to curse God. God is really hates you. But God allowed the devil to do that because why? He says, have you considered my servant Job? Now I'm telling you this, not Norm. It just all of a sudden I realize that what he says, that how could he say that? Because why am I, why am I opposed to it in the first place? Aha. Let no man say he's tempted, I'm tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man with evil. I mean, of his own, uh, uh, every good gift and every perfect gift cometh down from the Father of lights, in him there is no bare modesty, well, shadow of turning. You know? I know all these scriptures, the good things, the bad things. 
the thief come not but for to kill, steal, and destroy from you. But I am come to give you life and to give it to you more abundantly. And I still believe all those things. But I also believe what Dorm had been trying to share, said to, say to me for like a long time. And, and I realized something that what this man had done is when God takes things and works together for your good, all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. In another verse, it says, He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for his all, how shall he not with him freely give us all things? What is this, this face, got to do with God trusting you? It's because, here's the deal. Uh, there's no temptation to you. This is, this is in Revelation, I mean, in 1 Corinthians 13, 10. There are, no, excuse me, ten thirteen. Uh, there hath no temptation taken you that isn't common to everybody else. We're all tempted by the same things. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eye, pride of life. All, all those three fall into those three categories. Everybody's tempted. Maybe not with the same thing. Somebody may be tempted with drugs. Somebody may be tempted with sex. We're all tempted about with, with stuff. Every one of us. He says... No, there's no temptation taken you that isn't coming to man. But God will, with the temptation, make a way to escape. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I'm going to escape the problem. And yet, what does he say? That you may be able to bear it. I didn't hear any amen, hallelujahs on that one. Of course, I didn't last time either. I did it myself. I did it myself. But anyway, do you understand? God doesn't make a way to escape it like we want to escape it. We want it to end. We don't want it to continue. But God says, but will with the temptation. enable you to bear it. And that's identifying with the suffering of Christ. Do you understand? It's like this is a gift from God. Not the, not the scarring, but Him trusting you. Him trusting you to be like Job. Though they... Devil tried to get him to bow down. He says, I will not let my troubles around me or in me separate me from the love of God. Nothing can separate me from the love of God. Hallelujah. When you get tested in trial, that's what James meant when he says, count it all temptation, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations and trials. Hallelujah.